This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Rob Tombrella is a pastor at Grace Church and the speaker on this message. Uh, So we're going to be looking at the Tower of Babel, and I hope that we see together that Christ, uh, Jesus, through the lens of the gospel, is the tower that we run to where in this story they are running to the tower for all kinds of different reasons. Uh, here's the, here's the, uh, the, the chapters of the story of how we're going to look at it. Uh, really only two big, big events that take place in this story. Uh, the one is a chapter we'll call Human Ambition, which we know a lot about. And then it concludes with God's reversal. <laughs> and uh, then we're going to apply this to our lives and ask the question, what does this mean to us? Human ambition, God's reversal, what does it mean to us? So let's look at the first four verses and see how human ambition sets up the the story for us before God steps in. So let's look at the first four verses here as as we're introduced to the Tower of Babel. It says in verse 1, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Well, what's happening here? Well, uh, the people of God are migrating. They're, they're, they're nomadic people. They're moving about. And if you've ever lived a life where you haven't been settled, you want to settle down. And that's what these people are doing. They're, they're desiring to settle down. They have one language. They have the same words. They're migrating east. They find a plain the land of Shinar, and they settled down. Now, God had, had told them through Noah, if you remember, to, to go throughout the entire earth and to multiply and to bless it and to fill, fill the whole earth. So this might be a sort of rejection of that command in that they're, they're, they're choosing to settle down into a place and uh, do their own thing, so to speak. So here, here they are. They've settled down, and uh, they conclude to do something in verse 3. It doesn't seem like God's uh, in the equation of, of how they make a decision. I don't know if you've ever been there where you've made a decision without really considering what God might think about the matter. But they, they just decide, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal to you. But in that day and age, making bricks was a new technological advance. So it's uh, at the time they, they made things out of stone. They would just chip them out and carve them out, and there you had you carried it about. And uh, making bricks, taking one ingredient and adding another ingredient and burning things together to create a brick and then be able to multiply the process was a major technolo- technological advance of that day. It was a major statement of progress uh, in the world in that day. And and so they said, let's do this. Let's do this together. Let's burn them. And suddenly they've got brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then in verse 4, they make a big leap from making bricks to building a city. Do you see that? In verse 4, it says, Then they said, 
because they were successful, the first advance, they said, let's, let's take another step here. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So one successful thing, one really good thing, one, one really generous thing uh, leads to something that is, is really uh, uh, going to get them in a lot of trouble. Well, what is it? What do they want to do here? Well, it says, let's build a city. And in that city, let's create this tower that goes all the way up to the top of the heavens. And then the goal here is to make a name for ourselves. It wasn't enough that they were a part of the people of God. They, they want something beyond that. And, uh, and then they, they're doing that because they don't want it to be dispersed over the face of the whole, the whole earth and the whole land. So what's, what's happening here? Well, the uh, archaeologists of today uh, think that when they are asking to build a tower, uh, that the closest thing to, to that kind of structure in, in that day was in ancient Mesopotamia, they created these things called, called ziggurats. Is the closest thing that we have to understand what a, what a tower is and how we should understand what they're thinking about. Like, it's not a tower like you're thinking of, like just some big you know, vertical uh, structure, but it's, it's almost like a temple. So if you think tower, when they're building this, it's more like a pyramid, only uh, ancient pyramids in Egypt had, you know, you went inside of these things. Uh, these kind of towers, you didn't go inside. You actually walked around the, the tower, the, the ancient ziggurat, in a, like a stairway. And up at the top was like a place where you had access to the heavenly gods. So it was literally like a stairway to heaven. So you just think about it that way. You just walk this thing all the way up to the very top. And there at the top, you would set a table. Uh, some of them, they would make a bed. Uh, they would decorate it really nicely. There would just be this room, not for any human being to stay at the top of the tower, but for God to stay at the top of the tower. So this was a place that they created for God with a staircase that would go all the way down. And they would place these favors and these gifts up at the top, sort of your best gifts. And then you would, you would lure the God or the gods in some cases all the way down the tower and place some more gifts down at the bottom of the tower. So you can start to see where the thinking is going dangerous. At the top, there's this gate and you're hoping God's going to stop and spend time right there at that spot. And then he's going to travel down for some more gifts and favors so that you're blessed so that you have a good life, so that you're protected, so that uh, everything in your, your world goes well. So he, here we, we see right out of the gate that the people of God, because they bear the image of God, they don't sit still. You ever been told to just sit still? Maybe even a doctor's told you that. Like you need to sit still and rest and you just can't do it. It's very difficult and challenging for you to do that. Well, that's, that's like the people of God are. They, they can't seem to sit still. They, they are at building things. 
And as soon as they have one really good thing, they go from like a brick to playing God in like 20 seconds, like in a verse. They go from, wow, this is a really great brick to, wow, let's create a tower up to the heavens and let's coerce God into doing what we want him to do. And uh, it's, cra- it's crazy that we can go that quick. It's crazy that you, our hearts can move that fast from one gift of God uh, one technological advance, one, one thing of progress in our lives to thinking that we can be independent of God or that we can manipulate God and make him do what we want him to do. That's how fast their hearts went that direction. And that's how fast we go. We can think the same thing. We can, we can start to fool ourselves. And that's because of the curse of sin. Image bearers created in the image of God, created to do great things for God, go inward. They turn, we turn in on ourselves and we take these good gifts, these good abilities that God's given to us and we make it about us. We make it about our thing. Like we're so dependent on God to even have this ingredient to mix with this ingredient to create this like brick. And then we take that thing and we start to create something that would make us then independent of God. Like we, we do this with things. Like, think about your own life. There are gifts that God has given to you that you have been so thankful for. Like, it's just been this wonderful gift. Maybe it's a relationship, a person, a job, a project at work. Maybe it's a piece of technology that you've taken. And you said, man, this is such a blessing. But then we take that thing and we, then we try to live in independence and isolation from God. We turn his gifts in on itself and we, we make it about about us and about achieving something. Well, notice what they're, what they're after here. It says, let us make a name for ourselves. So that's all about fame, right? Let us make a name for us so that or lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So what's happening here is that they, they want protection. They really do. I mean, they're not unlike us. We don't want to be dispersed and unprotected and, you know, at, at, in trouble with the elements or with warring people out there, out to get us. I mean, we want protection, right? Well, that's what, what they want. But how they are going about getting it is through making a name for themselves and being independent from God instead of being dependent upon God. And the bricks that they have been given lead to a tower. And that tower contained all their hopes and all their dreams. It might sound really silly. If you actually looked at what the tower probably uh, looked like today, it would be extremely unimpressive, especially compared to like modern architecture and and things. It would be, it would be silly. You would roll your eyes if you saw kind of what this tower actually probably looked like. But that tower contained all their hopes and dreams. And truth be told, you and I have some silly things that contain all our hopes and dreams. Things that we've made, things that we built, things that we're looking to, things that we're running to, that we're really hoping will bring us protection, satisfaction, joy, fulfillment, whatever it is. There's lots of towers, and towers come in all different shapes and sizes. And, uh, and we've all got them. 
So that's human ambition. Well, what does God think when he looks down and he sees all of this? Well, this is God's reversal. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. It's an interesting statement. It's loaded with kind of the perspective of the writer here. The Lord came down. They're, they're building something to sort of impress themselves and impress the whole world. Let's make a name for ourselves all over the world so everybody in the world will see us, know about us, know our name because of our massive temple. But the Lord has to come down to see their puny little temple and uh, their, their tower and to see the city uh, which the children of man had built. So notice that these are children kind of putting together this little sand tower that they're trying to impress themselves with. And, uh, and then God speaks, verse 6 says, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down. Do you notice that's the same, same way that that's set up that the other people said, come, let us build a tower. Come, let us build a city. Here, God is now responding uh, in a similar way to, to them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them. That's what they didn't want to see happen. <laughs> But the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. That's what happens when the Lord disperses you. You, you, you leave your building project right there. And verse 9 says, Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the people. So Babel means confused. And there the Lord dispersed them over the face of of all the earth. So here is a great reversal. Huge project t- taking place, huge human ambition taking place like the world's never seen. And here God comes down, steps in, reverses the whole thing, disperses them out, and now they will fill the earth and multiply it because God has stepped in and ensured that that is going to happen. Uh, look, notice what verse 6 says. It says, Nothing, this is God's own statement about humanity here. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. So again, take note. If you're new to the Bible, take, just listen to this. The image bearers have unlimited potential. To be, bear the image of God, to have an eternal soul, means that your soul and, and, and who you are is priceless. And your potential is, in, in a, lot, a lot of ways, it's, it's unlimited. Now, here in this context, it's, it's unlimited for evil is what, is what it's saying. It's not like, oh, they have unlimited potential for good. Here, it's, they have an unlimited ability to cross over barriers, sacred lines that I have drawn and said, these are the lines that I've drawn. They have an unlimited uh, potential here to cross those boundaries and to just keep, keep going into uh, more and more evil. But it's also a statement of, of the unlimited nature of a human soul. When God starts a human soul and puts that thing into motion, that is an enormous responsibility that you and I have. It, once God creates a human soul, it doesn't go uncreated ever. It's an eternal thing. 
It's a holy thing. It's a sacred thing. I want you all to just look around for just a second, because what you are all looking around, if you just kind of scan the room with your eyes, you don't have to turn your head. That's awkward. Uh, but if you just look around, what you're looking at is a room full of eternal, listen, eternal beings. Every single person in this room is eternal, everlasting, unending. So if you think about how you, how you and I put value on things, how we put price tags on things in the world, well, we, we put the highest price tag on things with the most rarity or the most endurance and value. You know, we, that's how we determine value, by its endurance, right? If, it's, if something can just outlast another thing, it is, it, it, it's so rare, it's so costly, it's so, it's, it's unbelievably priceless. That's every human being is unbelievably priceless. Bearing the image of God with enormous responsibility and incredible potential. I mean, Jesus will say, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? The answer is simply nothing. Because everything in this world Fades out and burns out. But, but the soul outstrips and outlasts everything. It outlasts every planet in the galaxy. It outlasts galaxies. Would you give a billion galaxies for a soul? No, Jesus says. Because those, those, those die out. Galaxies die out. But your soul will keep going after that galaxy is gone. It's unlimited. It's, it's, it's priceless. It's an enormous responsibility. Every person, infinite worth. Every person, eternal value. If you just think about the people in your life that you're thinking, uh, I, I struggle with valuing that person. Well, just consider it from the lens of how God views that person. Every person has infinite worth. And, and here, um, because of the curse of sin, that being turned inward, it, it's an enormous potential to do evil and to do wrong and to cross boundaries. So unlimited potential, but a clear offense here. Now, what is the, what is the offense here? He says, behold, they're one people, they're one language. There's only the beginning, only the beginning of what they will do in this state. Nothing they propose to do will now be impossible to them. And so he steps in to confuse their language. Well, what is the offense? Well, some have thought, well, maybe it's urbanization in general. Maybe God never designed people to live in cities and to, to, to be in cities. But that wouldn't make a lot of sense because even the city of God is, is Jerusalem. So um, just, just by virtue of the fact that God will dwell in a city uh, and name it Jerusalem, and there'll be a new Jerusalem one day, and there'll be a new city uh, one day doesn't that doesn't seem to make sense? Or what about the achieving of great things? Was it the attempt to do something something great? Well, not in and of itself. Remember, Solomon will build a temple, and God's very presence will fill that temple. A temple 
It's very ornate, a temple that is very creative, a, a temple that has a, a ton, I mean, hundreds of thousands of craftsmen uh, put into this temple, and it's extremely impressive, and it's a great thing. So it can't just be the achieving of great things. Or is it making a name for yourself in and of itself? Is that the issue? Well, that's, that's pretty close. But God himself in the next chapter will promise Abraham, I will make your name great. So there, there is a promise. That, that's an even an incentivized promise that God is giving to Abraham that I will make your name great. Hold on to the, the truth that I'm going to do something great through you. And he's, he's supposed to remember that, you know, all of his days, that God's, God's promised to make my name great. So it can't be that in and of itself. But most people conclude it's, it's not that by itself, but it's doing those things, particularly trying to make a name for yourself with a Babylonian religious mindset. What do I mean by that? The, the Babel mindset, the Tower of Babel mindset is this. It's the system that characterized, is characterized not by uh, necessarily just defying humans, but by humanizing God. One uh, commentator says the whole approach is to bring God down to a human level and to make him like us. So listen, here's the essence of paganism. If you were to say, what is paganism? It's not the, it's not the, you know, the high school kid that's got the, got the dark shirt on and is dressed in all goth that's like rolling around saying, I'm a pagan, you know, just to scare a lot of people and things like that. Uh, that's, that's not, that could be paganism, but that's not the essence of paganism. What is paganism is to degrade the nature of God and to portray him as having needs like us. That's what they're doing with the tower. God has needs like us so we can manipulate and coerce him into what we want and into our plan because he's like us. So we, we step into this when, for instance, we think of God as having emotional struggles just like us. He's worried. He's capricious. You know, he has outbursts of anger. You know, he just suddenly just yells and then he's just sorry that he did it. So when we think of God like that, uh, for instance, when we think of worship as giving something to God that he needs. So when we come into worship thinking I'm giving you something and now I expect something back in return. You know, and that is often revealed when that thing we were hoping for doesn't come true or whatever. And then we remember, wait a second, I went to. I always showed up at church on time last week. Like I was there, you know, happy and everything. And I was there and I, you know, it, it's, and, and I gave you something. I gave you something. This is a trade-off. It's a trade. I give you something. You give me something. I have my quiet time in the morning. I read my Bible in the morning. I pray in the morning. I should make the sale at three o'clock. If I don't make the sale at three o'clock, why did I have, why did I read my Bible and have my quiet time? Or my kids should, should be, behave, you know, particularly on the day when I got up extra early to pray. 
Like I got up extra early to pray and, and things in my day are not going like they should. We can start to think about it like a trade. I do my part. He does his part. That, that's stepping into the essence of, of paganism. He's a human like us. He can be manipulated like us. Uh, the, uh, the people of God often fell into this in the sacrificial system. And God thunders home in Psalm 50 with these words. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. So, so God's saying there's only one way that this relationship works. You call upon me and I deliver you. I never call upon you, and you will never deliver me. Only one way that this works, but they got it wrong, and we do too. Or how about this? When we think God, God owes us something because of, of some financial gift that we've given to him, it works that way sometimes too. It creeps into our, our finances and our thinking. We donate something to a charity, or we give something to the local church. Surely our finances from now on will go well. I can finally make that purchase I've always dreamed of and not suffer any financial setbacks or something. Uh, One commentator says it this way. At the core of Babel is the belief that, that the gods have needs. Worship and human response to the gods in general are directed towards meeting those needs. The gods need to be fed. They need to be clothed. They need to be housed. They are pampered. They are patronized. They are manipulated. The heart of paganism is not found in the perversity of rituals, but in the degradation of deity. When gods are distinguished only by their power instead of their character and their transcendence and autonomy, they became like puppets filled with nitroglycerin. Make them do whatever you want, however you can, but be careful not to jar them too much or they may explode. That was the essence of a tower. That was the tower that they were building, and that's the towers that we build every day. So what does this teach us? How then should we live with the Tower of Babel in this kind of mindset that we want to avoid? Suppose you're exploring Christianity and you're curious, what in the world does this have to do with me? What, what does this have to do with Jesus, for instance, and what the Bible says he's done and who he is? Well, like I've said before, it teaches us that every person is created in the image of God. You are created in the image of God and you are capable of incredible things, good things and bad things. You've seen things in your life where you've done some good things and you've seen some things that you've done that were evil things. And you've seen in you that this, this, there's probably this possibility, that to, this desire to dream and to create, to do more and to achieve great things. It's the fingerprints of God in you and over you. And you can't run from that. You can't, you can't not be that. It's, it's impossible for you to sit still. Even people who say, I'm going to just 
you know, get off the grid of society altogether, they still have struggles with sitting still because they've got this thing in them that says, I've got to be and do more, this, hung, this, this hunger for glory and, and to do more and more. But listen, because of sin, which we've seen happens in Genesis 3, because of the curse of sin, image bearers like you and me and like every human turn inward and start to blur the distinctions between God and ourselves, between the creator and the created. And we use his gifts to either deify us, like make us God, or humanize him to bring him down. We got to bring him down the tower to get what we want or to make a name for ourselves. This is the essence of what Romans 1 talks about when it says that we knew God or those, those, they knew God. They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile. That's where it starts. And their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man. That's the essence of paganism. And then they go on in birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So we think it's no big deal to cross, you know, the lines of creator and created from, you know, cross these sacred boundaries that God has has laid out. So long as we're not messing around with dinosaur DNA and so long as we're not messing around with artificial intelligence or maybe time travel, uh, but what this teaches us is that, that we do this whenever we try to bring them down on our level, to make them like us, or to elevate ourselves to be like God. And that's because of sin. Image bearers do that. That's what image bearers do because of sin. And the predicament is so serious that only God himself can redeem and reverse the curse inside image bearers. Because we're all made in his image and because we're all eternal and priceless in and of itself, only God himself, listen, only the blood of God himself can cover the sins of image bearers. If those sins aren't covered, those image bearers bear the marks of those sins and that the place of that, that rebellion forever and willfully choose so forever. It's quite a predicament. God himself in the person of Jesus Christ must step in. If he does not, the image bearers are lost forever. We continue to commit the, the paganism of the Tower of Babel. We continue to try to bring, bring God down to us or bring us back up to God. And, and we continue to live in independence and isolation from God. And, and thankfully, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can be brought back into a relationship with God. So much so that the Apostle Paul can write to the Corinthian church and say, such were some of you, all, all Babel in your thinking, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 
And that all comes through faith. Through faith in Jesus, the curse of Babel is reversed. Literally, it's reversed. And now the image bearers can use their gifts for God's glory and God's name. So now because the reverse starts here and goes out there, it's reversed here. And now we can make a name for God instead of making a name for ourselves. It's an incredible place of freedom. When we're trying to make a name for ourselves, we're we're resisting God and we're resisting the way that God has set things up. And we're pushing back on the created order and the way that God has created it. But when we make a name for God, it's the most freeing thing in the world. Listen, Philippians says, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Listen, that includes your name, includes my name, includes your, your, your uh, company's name, your family name, whatever name it is that you're trying to find life in, that, that tower that you're trying to build, that you're going to find success and fulfillment in. There's only one name that that is supposed to point to and be all about. And listen, when Jesus came up out of the tomb, the towers came down. The Tower of Babel was was finally and fully conquered when Jesus came up out of the grave so that Proverbs 18.10 is true of anybody who runs to Jesus. It says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs to it and is safe. Do you want safety? Do you want protection? Do you want freedom? Do you want fulfillment? Do you want satisfaction? You need a tower. But you got to run away from your towers and run to one tower. The name of the Lord, Jesus, is highly exalted and lifted up above every name. And his name is such that he is strong and stronger than anything that you could could be running after right now. And you are righteous if you run into it. And you're safe there if you need safety. If you could, if you could stand with me, we're going to close through prayer and we're going to we're going to close with a song of worship. I just want to close by asking one one question. Is there a tower in your life? Maybe a tower that you're building right now trying to get to God. Like I'm going to, I'm going to create this thing and there then I can have access to God for the first time. God will be pleased with me for the very first time. Or maybe a tower from God. You're trying to get independent from God. You're you're literally trying to to live in isolation and independence from him. Or maybe just a tower for you. You're trying to make a name for yourself. We can all relate to all those kinds of towers. And maybe a different one for you. I don't know. You might have a different kind. Like I said, towers come in all different shapes, all different sizes, all different names. But there's one solution. Jesus Christ is the solution to every tower that we try to run to. But we, we've got to just, we've got to turn. We've got to turn from those, those things that don't, don't do anything that are really these, these puny little things that God has to come down and look at. And we've got to lift our eyes to Jesus. So let's do that together.
You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.